So tonight we finish up our monster series, which is a series on identity. And for those of you who've been with us uh, the last couple of weeks, maybe this is your first week, we've been really trying to answer one main question. That question is, who am I? And so if I were to ask you, well, who is Pastor Wes? A couple things might come to mind. Uh, maybe you would say he's uh, pretty funny. <laughs> maybe you guys would say, okay. Um, you would say that he's a, a redhead. Thank you. Because I have red hair on my head. And uh, maybe, like I just told you, I'm married. So you might say, you know, Pastor Wes is a husband. I told you I have two kids. It makes Pastor Wes a dad. Um, I, I'm a pastor. Uh, and I've shared my testimony with you before. But you should be able to say that Pastor Wes is a Christian. He is a Christ follower. And so that's kind of the, the deeper look we're going to take into that question tonight. Okay, It's not just who am I, but it's who am I to God. Because that's what really, really matters. And that's what I want you to understand. I want you to grasp that tonight is how does God see you? Not like physically or like literally, but like spiritually, psychologically. Like how you think and, and what is going on with, with your heart and your soul, um, however you want to define it. How does God see me? Who am I to God? The one who created everything. The one who came from heaven to earth to walk in the Garden of Eden with his creation. The one who, after mankind sins over and over again, comes from heaven to earth to die on the cross for you and me. That our sins could be forgiven. That if we would believe in him, we could have everlasting life. And that sounds pretty great to me. And that's because it is. That's the best thing anyone could ever offer you. And that is the gift of eternal life. And so... Who am I to God? That's the question we're going to try to answer tonight. But before we talk about our monster, I want us to give us a little um, biblical history, okay? And I'm going to nerd out for a second. I hope you guys will track with me. But in the scriptures, in the scriptures, we have this word or this building called the temple. And so the temple... The temple was this place where people would come, they would travel to, and they would offer animal sacrifices to God as worship. Now, you can, uh, well, if this is your first time, we're not going to sacrifice any animals tonight, okay? Cross my heart and hope to die. Unless, unless a, a bug flies up here and tries to distract like it, it's done a couple times, I will sacrifice that bug for the sake of the sermon. I'm just being playing off. But we're not going to sacrifice any larger animals. Unless, did, did you bring Jojo? You know, okay, we wouldn't do that. that. Yeah, that we wouldn't do that. Sorry. Excuse me, that death stare right now. Okay, we wouldn't do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to offer any animal sacrifice. See, in the Bible, the temple was this building that represented God's presence. It was a building where God... Um, resided, where he, he lived, where, where he would, when he would have his presence on earth, it was in the temple. That was the place where you went to meet with God. And there was a lot of rules when it came to the temple. There's a lot of rules when it came to offering sacrifices. And so why would somebody offer an animal sacrifice? Well, they would do it, they would do it, I mean all-encompassing, out of worship to God. They might do it to praise him 
for a blessing they received. Or they might do it for their sins that they had committed that year or that month. They might do it for different reasons. But overall, hear me, it was for worship. They would come to this place of God's presence to practice a certain activity to worship God. And the temple, check this out, has an interesting place along the lines of, of this story that you and I are living even to this day. Because if you were to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, you would read the story of God creating everything. It was magnificent. There was nothing. God spoke. Guess what happened? Boom. There was stuff. That's pretty amazing. Can you imagine you're just sitting on your couch and you're just like popcorn. It just happens. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? You're just chilling there. You're just like pizza rolls. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? You're at the, no, what about this? You're at the movies and you go to drink and it just, you ran out. What if you're just like, boom, Slurpee, pow, and it was right there. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That'd be so good. Now, I'm not saying there were sound effects when God was creating the whole universe. Maybe there was, but pow, bang, pow. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. I doubt you were. But Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and creation takes place. And so when he created everything, hear me, he created Man and he created woman, Adam and Eve, and he created a garden, and he literally walked in that garden with them, okay? Literally walked, meaning he really did. He had a relationship with his creation. But then mankind sins, and so God can no longer walk with his creation. You fast forward a little bit, and you have the story of, of Moses in the wilderness. Many of you probably heard this story. Moses um, brings God's people out of slavery, and they're walking in the wilderness on the way to the, to the what? The promised land, the holy land, what would eventually be the holy land. And so when they're walking through this wilderness, this really tough, tough time in their history, well, where is God? Well, God's presence was represented by a few things. One, he would lead his people by a cloud during the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. That would be amazing, okay. But his presence, check this out, his presence resided in this structure called the tabernacle. And there was this series of tents with different levels to it. And so for you to come into the presence of God meant that you had to go and be a part of this, this structure. Well, that was temporary, though. If you've ever been camping, you know that a tent is not as, um, it's not as protective as your house, right? Your house, hopefully, has strong, sturdy walls. And so the plan for after the tabernacle was that God's presence would be in a building. So, you guys still with me? You guys still with me? Yes, Pastor Wes? We have the temple. This is God's presence. This is where God's people come to worship him. I want you to understand that tonight. So our monster for our last week is the, drum roll please. Oh, you already revealed it. It's the werewolf. It's the werewolf. And it's another cartoon. He's drooling a little bit because, you know, he's a werewolf and he's a savage. He's got the plaid shirt on. I'm not sure if he's like a lumberjack werewolf, you know. Or like Paul Bunyan style, he's got his jeans on, you know, so that's cool. But they're ripped, so he's probably a millennial. Um, those yellow eyes means he needs to eat more carrots, right? Is carrots, like, you got yellow eyes? I need a, I need a nurse's opinion. What, anybody? Anybody? Uh, okay, never mind. Okay, a werewolf is what we have for tonight. And what I want you to think about 
is with a werewolf, when does a werewolf come out? Yes. In the nighttime, but be more specifically. Be more specific, yes. When there's a full moon. And there have been some spectacular, like, moon sightings since I've been down here. Like, I don't know if it's just different because, like, we're further south on the globe. But the moon does not get as big as it gets here in Alaska. And so I see this giant, bright, just light radiating and just glaring moon. And I just can't help. Anybody else? Some of you are like, man, this guy is really off his rocker. I don't actually do that. Right, Tay? Right? Right? Okay, there we go. I don't howl at the moon. But a werewolf, a werewolf is interesting to me because he only comes out at night and he only comes out during a full moon. And so there are like different triggers that have to take place for the werewolf to actually happen. What else goes along with the werewolf? Well, um, in folklore, a werewolf is not um, as mindful as whatever his human counterpart is. And so typically the human will wake up from a, a night of the full moon and he won't have any idea of what happened the night before because he was a different creature. Okay? And so tonight what we're going to look at is what is our identity and how is it opposite from that of the werewolf. And what I want to do is, is really compare this idea of a monster that takes place during one time of the month, during a full moon, and how we as Christians are the exact opposite. We are not called to live a certain way during part of our life, but we are challenged and invited to live a life completely in worship to God. So if you have your Bibles, open them up right now. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at two verses tonight, just two verses. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse number 1. And this is what the author says. The author says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's that word, sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. So, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the test, by test you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you go back to the very first um, slide for verse 1, that would be great. And so we're going to break down these verses. Because what the author is trying to teach us here is that it's not about one part of your life. It's not about just one aspect of you. If you are an athlete, if you are an athlete in any sport, you know that to be a truly serious athlete in that particular sport, you can't just be an athlete when it comes time to play. You can't just become an athlete when you step on the court. You can't just be an athlete when you step on the mat, on the field, on the rink. Being a true athlete means that you are going to change everything about yourself. You're going you're to change the way that, that you eat. You're going to change your diet. You're going to change the way that you um, go about your day-to-day. You're not going to stay up late because you know a good night's rest is going to give you better energy. You're going to make sure that you're actually getting good grades so that you're eligible to play. Not only that, but you're going to have a different mindset when it comes to practice because you're going to work so hard that the game is going to be just 
too easy. See, everything has to change. Now, if you're just like uh, just a just a just a common player when it comes to you know sports, maybe you just you're just out there for fun. You're gonna approach it a little bit differently, aren't you? You'll show up to practice. You kind of pay attention to coach, but when the game time comes, you perhaps don't play as much because, well, you're not as, as serious about it. You haven't you haven't really come at it from a holistic or a complete position. Same thing is with school. The same thing is with um, uh, being a musician. The same thing is is with relationships. It's, it really applies to many. Um, aspects of life. And so what the author here is trying to tell us is that being a, a Christ follower, being a Christian, listen, it's not just about perhaps um, what you do, but it's about what you think. It's not just about how you go to work, but it's about how you go to school. It's not just about how you interact at church, but it's also about how you interact when you're away from all of this. And so the author says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Go to the next slide. To present, this is the challenge really, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, now let's pause there. Because if you're taking notes, I want you to, to make note of this, that the Bible is not saying here that we are to sacrifice ourselves. Okay, that'd be kind of absurd, right? That'd be kind of weird. That, that should trigger something inside your mind that says, red flag, let's think about this. And so if we were to think back to the biblical lesson of history that we just talked about with the temple, the temple is where they went to offer sacrifices, and the animal would end up dead. Okay? So now we're in the New Testament. We're in a different time. And he says this, these words, a living sacrifice. What was the point of the sacrifice in the temple? The point of the sacrifice in the temple was out of worship to God. That animal back then would end up dead. But you and I are to live our lives as a living sacrifice in our, what does it say? Our, this is our spiritual worship, okay? So, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Holy and acceptable to God. I wonder how many of us approach just day-to-day -day life thinking about what might be acceptable to God. I mean, let, let, let's just entertain that thought for a second. Can, can you join me in, in just this imagination station for a second? If you were to approach the way that you talk to other people through the filter of, hmm, is this going to be acceptable to God? I would bet, not that I'm a gambler, but I would bet that the way you talk now would be different than if you put it through that filter. Because the way that we talk to each other is what? It's, it's, it's mean, it's discouraging, it, it puts others down so that we can feel good about ourselves. That's not acceptable to God. That's not worshipful to God. That is definitely not holy, which is to be set apart, to be completely different from the world. And so we, we, we want to do what is acceptable to God. And this is our spiritual worship. Go to verse 2. So he says, do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? It means don't be forcibly transformed into thinking and being like the world. Okay? Don't be like what you see around you. Don't think that same way. Don't have the same viewpoint as the world. But he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
and we've talked about this before, but even I need, need this reminder, that the way you think determines the way you live your life. I mean, think about it. The way you think, the thoughts that you have become developed ideas. Those ideas then turn into actions. Your actions that you do over and over again are called what? They're called habits. And the habits that you do throughout everyday life is really the life that you live. And so it really all starts with the way you think. And so we're being challenged here. Like, listen, don't be, don't, don't be forced to think the same way that the world does. See, the way that the world thinks is that, hey, it's okay to talk, you know, down to other people um, as long as it's really not that bad. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, what that means is, is that you can do whatever you feel comfortable with just to make yourself feel good. And then you just make up reasons for why, oh, what I said to them really wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was humiliating to them, and everyone laughed at it, but oh, they'll get over it. When each and every one of us knows that, like, sometimes words hurt the most. The things we say to each other, they cut the deepest. And they're the things that as we, we, we lay there trying to go to sleep and we think about, you know, just the tough things that, that are said to us, they just, they run around in our heads like, man, what they said is like, is that really true about me? Am I really a loser? Am I really worthless? Like, is this like really true about me? And so, listen, we need to transform the way that we think. Don't be conformed to this world. Next slide. So he says that by, the, by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And so I highlighted that word discern. I think some of you guys already know what this word is, but if you don't, to discern something means to determine um, if it's right or not. De determine and really investigate something to, to see should I do this thing. Okay? If, if you were to just bring me a random platter of cooked meat, I would discern um, about if you cooked that properly. And if I have no idea who you are and this is your first time to Cross Life students, I'm going to be like, it's good to meet you, but I'm not going to eat that. Now, if someone I know brings me a delicious, you know, piece of cooked meat, like Nathan has done the last couple of weeks to other people, and I can smell it and the aroma is delicious, and I'm just like, Nathan, will you just donate some to the Pastor West cause, please? <laughs> See, if you're someone that I know, that, that I trust, and I've seen you maybe work events like Extravaganza or Trunk or Treat where you have sold this product, and I know that you have good reviews. See, see what, what am I doing? I am discerning in my mind if it is a good idea for me to partake. I am figuring out, I am determining whether or not this is a good idea. And so he says that we need to be able to discern. Discern what? Well... What is the will of God? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? And these last three, good, acceptable, and perfect, are, are really lumped together in the way that he's talking. You know, it, it goes back to what we're saying. You know, everything that we do, if we were to pass it through this filter of, man, what am I about to do? Is this good? Is this acceptable? Is this, I mean, is this perfect? Not that any of us are perfect, but... I mean, does this pass those tests? Then I probably shouldn't do it. But, but I think a big one for us is, is probably this one, the will of God. What does that mean, the will of God? What does God, what does God want for me in my life? 
I mean, even as a middle school student, I mean, what does God want from me? Little old me. What, 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 what can I do? Well, I would challenge you that as you present yourself as a, what the Bible would say, a living sacrifice, and you transform the way that you think through the power of God, I think what God wants for your life would become a lot more clear than you think. I think the opportunities that God would give you would be a lot more obvious than you think. You might be thinking, you know, will of God. It feels like God is like off in the distance. Like I don't even like feel God at all. Well, perhaps that's because you're not a Christian. Maybe it's because you're not a Christ follower. But, but if you are a Christian, listen, you're, you're, you're not like the werewolf that is just a Christian just you know, one day out of the month or one day out of the week when you come to church. But you, sh you should be discerning all of this in every part of your life at all times. And so how do we put this into action? Well, the first action, if you guys are taking notes, is this. Is that we do not think like the world. And that we should transform the way that we think. It starts, it, it, it starts in the heart. We're talking about salvation, this gift of eternal life. It starts with a, a belief in our heart. But then it transfers to um, an acknowledgement that Christ is Lord over our life. And so we don't want to think like the world thinks. But we want to think like Christ thinks. We want to think like God thinks. And so the first action we're going to take is that we're going to transform the way that we think. We're going to look at other people through the lens that God uses. We're going to look at other people the way that God sees other people. And that's, and that's valuable. And that's full of purpose. And that's meaningful. Okay. The second action is that we need to practice discerning what is good and acceptable. And this one can be challenging. Even for me sometimes it can be challenging to discern what is good and acceptable. To determine what should I do in each of these situations. And so I want to I challenge you to do this with me, to practice discerning what is good and acceptable in every part of life. The way we talk to each other, the way we talk to our parents, the way that we do our schoolwork, the way that we attend practice, any part of life that we discern what is good and acceptable. And our last action is that we need to live a life in complete worship to God. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says in the book of Corinthians that we are, as Christians, our body is the temple. What does that mean? You see, if we continue on that biblical lesson of the Garden of Eden, God walks with his people. The tabernacle, this series of tents that God's presence was. Then we have the temple, which is a building. That's where God's presence is now. Well, we read about um, this character in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who came down from heaven and he was God with us. What, 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 what was his name? Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. And another name that was given to Jesus was Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? Christ with us, God with us. And so what, what, what's my point? My point is that the temple, well, that was where God's presence was. But now we have Jesus who in the flesh is with us. But Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave three days later, and spent a, a couple weeks appearing to hundreds of different people, eyewitness accounts, proving that he truly was, you know, who he said he was. And then he went back to heaven. Can you believe it? 
did all these miracles, did all this, this cool stuff, proved that he was the only way to eternal life. And then he just goes back to heaven, right? But why did he do that? He did that because, and he even taught this, that when he would go back to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside every believer, giving them the understanding of God's word, helping them to discern what is good and acceptable, helping them in time of need, giving them strength to overcome temptation. And the Bible says that you and I, we are now that temple. And so we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. That is God's presence. So you, I mean, you, you asked me the question, you know, I mean, what is God's will for me? God's will for you as a Christian, as a middle schooler, is to be God's presence in every part of your life. I'm going to ask the band to, to uh, go ahead and get ready. But that's what God's calling us to do. God's inviting us to take his presence into this dark world. Into our schools, into our teens, into our families, into our neighborhoods, wherever we go, that our entire life would be about him. And some of you, let's be honest, some of you are not ready for that. But some of you are. Some of you are ready for that, that challenge to think differently and to ultimately live a life that is in complete worship to God. Being the light in this dark world. Taking God's presence to our neighborhoods and ultimately the nations. So we ask the question, who am I to God? Well, this is who we are to God. We are a living sacrifice designed to bring him glory. You compare this with the old temple. The point was to offer sacrifice and worship to God. But now we are to be living sacrifices as we live everyday lives. Everything we do should be for His glory. Will you accept that challenge? Will you accept that invitation? Or will you allow the obstacles and hurdles of life to keep you from following after God 